0: You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our series, Be Set Free, a study of the book of Exodus. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Good morning. Go ahead and take your seats. And as you're doing that, please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 5. For the past several weeks, we have been in a new study in which we're studying through the life of Moses in the book of Exodus. And the title we've given to this study is Be Set Free. the story of the Exodus is an amazing picture of what God wants to do in our lives as well. He wants to save us. He wants to set us free from whatever it is that's holding us captive and uh, from whatever it is that you're in bondage to so you can experience freedom. Let's go ahead and begin this morning by reading our text, which comes from Exodus chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then he said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall on us with pestilence or with the sword." But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Go back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle." Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let a heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to their lying words. Verse 15, it says, Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants this way? Verse 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. And then Moses turned to the Lord and said, "O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the deliverance that you want to work in our lives. And Lord, we pray that this morning as we study your word, we would really have ears to hear what you're speaking to us. We pray that it wouldn't uh, go in one ear and out the other, but Lord, that it would go into our hearts and that it would change us at the core of our being, that you would do a transforming work through your word in our lives today, that we would not only be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of it also. And Lord, that you would use this time to shape us and form us as you would. In Jesus' name, amen. So in 1973, in Stockholm, Sweden, two bank robbers held four bank employees hostage for six days in a standoff with police. And over the course of these six days, the bank robbers repeatedly threatened these hostages. They physically assaulted them and choked them. They pointed guns at their heads. They even fired shots next to their heads just to scare them all the more. Police were finally able, after six days, to end the standoff with the bank robbers. And they were able to, they put gas into the bank. Everybody got knocked out. They were able to go in, arrest the bank robbers, and set the hostages free. But something happened which nobody had expected with these hostages. These hostages, rather than being angry and upset about what these robbers had done to them, you know, abusing them, putting guns to their heads, etc., They actually defended the robbers. Some of them even defended the bank robbers in court. They expressed uh, affection for the bank robbers and they expressed sympathy for the bank robbers' cause. The very people who had abused them and mistreated them and held them captive for six days locked inside the bank vault. In fact, over the time that they were being held hostage, these hostages uh, came to see the police not as their saviors, but as their enemies. Now, this strange phenomenon was given a name. It's called Stockholm Syndrome. You might have heard of it. Stockholm Syndrome is when a person who is mistreated or abused or or held captive begins to sympathize with their abuser, with their oppressor, with the one who's mistreating them and begins to think of that person as their friend and the person who wants to set them free as their enemy. Now here in our study through Exodus, what we're talking about is how God wants to set us free. And just as he set the Hebrew people free from the bondage that they were in, God wants to set us free from the things which hold us captive. But see, this Stockholm Syndrome phenomena of loving the things which you are in bondage to and thinking that they are your friends even though they are hurting you, it's really not that uncommon. It, we're going to see it here. We do see it here in the Hebrew people here in this chapter in Exodus. And if we think about it, I think we might just find that it's true of us in some areas of our lives as well. The question is, how do we overcome that and receive this liberation that God wants to give us? That's what we'll be talking about in our study today. The title of today's message is Delayed Deliverance. And for you outline likers, you note takers, here's your outline. First of all, we're going to talk about when things get worse instead of better when things get worse instead of, but secondly, we're going to talk about where do you turn in times of distress, and thirdly, how to find the encouragement you need. So when things get worse instead of better, where to turn in times of dis- where do you turn in times of distress, and how to find the encouragement you need. Let's take a look at this. Our first point here, when things get worse instead of better. You know, Moses had grown up, we've seen so far in Exodus. Moses grew up in the palaces of Egypt. He was adopted as an infant by Pharaoh's daughter. And so for for the first 40 years of his life, he grew up in the palaces of Egypt. His life was characterized by luxury, by privilege, by wealth, and by power. In, In a very short amount of time, though, Moses went from having everything to having nothing, to losing it all. After 40 years of living as a prince, living in palaces of Egypt, Moses then spent the next 40 years of his life living as a nomadic shepherd with a Bedouin family in the middle of the desert. The reason Moses lost everything was because he had gotten this big idea. His big idea was that God had called him, that he had a destiny. And his destiny was to set the people of Israel free from slavery in Egypt. See, Moses was actually a Hebrew by birth. The the Egyptians had taken the Hebrew people captive and had made them slaves. They took them from their homes forcibly. They killed their children. They beat them and forced them to do hard labor. And so Moses determined that his position as a prince of Egypt, that his training as a military person, that he was the perfect person, that it was his destiny to liberate the Hebrew people from their slavery. And he assumed that the Hebrew people would be over the top ready to follow him that they'd be happy about it but he was wrong in his attempt to win over the Hebrews we saw one day Moses went out and he saw an Egyptian guard beating a Hebrew slave and Moses responded by killing that Egyptian guard and he thought well the people will see that I'm on their side that I'm for them but his plan totally backfired Rather than being glad that he had killed the Egyptian guard, the Hebrew people were horrified by it. He just committed murder. And now Moses has committed a capital offense. He's now a fugitive from the law. So in one bonehead move, in one pa- moment of passion, Moses burned all of his bridges. All his bridges with the Hebrews, all his bridges with the Egyptians. And Moses ran off into the desert to reinvent himself, to start a new life. It was not a life that he had ever wanted or imagined for himself. But hey, what options did he really have at this point? He had messed up. He lost everything. And he had no one to blame but himself. But after several years of being in the desert, one day something happened which was completely unexpected. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. And God called to Moses, called Moses into a deeper relationship with him. And he called Moses onto a mission for him. The mission? To set the people of Israel free from slavery in Egypt. See, it turns out that Moses was actually right. He was right all along. God did want him to liberate the people of Israel. It just didn't, it wasn't in the time or in the way that Moses had originally imagined. I guess you could say that the deliverance was delayed, even if it was only in Moses' estimation of time. So now at the beginning of chapter 5, we see Moses back in Egypt. Now he's back in Pharaoh's court. Now I want you to think about this. Forty years have passed. Forty years in the wilderness and now Moses returns to the very place where he grew up. I wonder what that must have felt like to return to that place. I don't know if you've ever been back to, you know, the neighborhood where you grew up or the old house or the old school. Moses hasn't been back here for 40 years. And I wonder if he recognized anybody, if there was anybody who was still around from back in the day, you know. We do know there was a different Pharaoh for sure. As Moses and his brother Aaron now come before Pharaoh, they are coming before one of the most powerful people in the world. And Pharaoh was nothing like what we think of politicians in our day, where we use the term public servant. Pharaoh was not a public servant. He did not consider himself a servant of the people. Much the opposite. He believed that the people existed to serve him. His power and his authority were supreme. And in the Egyptians' minds, the pharaohs were more than mere men. They were considered living gods. They sat in temples and they received praise and adoration, much like that which was given to other gods. But Moses, having grown up in the courts of Egypt... He had seen behind the curtain, right? He had seen the real life of the pharaohs of Egypt. And he knew that Pharaoh was only a man. And Moses came in the name of the true and living God with a message. The message was this, that Pharaoh should let God's people go into the wilderness. At this point, he's only asking for just a couple days so they could serve and worship their God. You know, one of the great themes of the book of Exodus is this. In your life, you will serve something. It's not a question. You will serve something. The question is, what will you serve? There will be something that you will live your life for. There will be a driving, controlling passion and desire in your life. The question is, what will that be? And if you are serving anything other than God and God alone, well then you are in bondage. You're not free. The only way to be truly free is to serve God and serve Him alone. So consider this for a minute. Here is Pharaoh, and he thinks that he is God and that the Hebrew people serve him. But now the Hebrew people are wanting to go and serve and worship another God other than him. And for Pharaoh, you've got to understand, this is not just about giving some slaves a few days off of work. This is a challenge to his entire identity, to his entire perspective on who he is, his entire authority. You know, one quick caveat here, I guess it's a parenthetical statement, not a caveat. Whenever you read the word Lord, in the Old Testament especially, and it's in all capitals, do you notice that as you read the text? The word Lord is in all capitals. What that means is that originally, that was a place where the covenant name of God appeared. The name Yahweh. Now we talked two weeks ago about that covenant name of God and what that means, uh, I encourage you, if you're interested in a study on that, go back and listen to that audio. But the Jewish people considered this name to be so sacred that they would never speak it. In fact, they would never even write it. So when they were producing copies of the scriptures, which they would do by hand, whenever they would come to the name, the covenant name of God, Yahweh, they would instead replace it with the word Adonai, which means Lord. And they would... Make a, They would write it in such a way that it was notated that originally this had been a place where the covenant name of God appeared, Yahweh. So whenever you see Lord in capital letters, understand that's what it says. So Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, Yahweh... I am who I am right the God who is Yahweh has demanded that you let the Hebrews go into the wilderness for a few days to worship him and Pharaoh who considers himself a God who believes that the Hebrew people serve him he says who is Yahweh that I should listen to him who is Yahweh I don't even know him now Pharaoh's heart was not in the right place But he actually did ask a a decent question. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Now think about that question. That's not a bad question at all. In fact, most of us would do better to ask that question from time to time. Who is the Lord that I should serve him? You see, that's actually a great question. Who is the Lord? If He is God alone, if He is the Creator, if He is the Sustainer, if He is the Almighty, the Sovereign One, who is good, who is loving, who is holy, who is opposed to evil, who is the Redeemer, taking all these things into consideration, who is God? Should you therefore obey Him? Well, absolutely. To have a clear vision of God is clearly to come to that conclusion, It's only when you understand who God is that you'll understand your place in relation to him. And it's actually pretty interesting to compare Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord that I should obey him, with Moses' question when God told Moses to do something a couple chapters ago in chapter 3. What was Moses' question? He didn't say, who is the Lord that I should obey him? He said, who am I? Right? So, who am I? Ultimately, Pharaoh's question is much more important. Who is the Lord? That's a much more important question than who am I. It's a much more fundamental question, and here's why. Because it's only when you understand who God is that you will be able to understand who you are in relation to him. But rather than really considering the implications of his own question, Pharaoh instead hardened his heart. And he said, wait a second, you're wanting to take away these people from their work. And he said, this is the last straw, right? You catch picking up what I'm putting down this is the last straw I'm not giving you guys any more straw that'll teach you to come and ask me for anything so from now on you're going to have to keep the same quota of bricks that you're making mud bricks but I'm not going to give you any more straw you can find your own straw if you want it but if you don't make the quota of bricks you're going to pay you basically cannot make mud bricks without straw see these mud bricks uh, straw was the binding agent there's a chemical property actually in straw that I read about that you, you know Goes throughout the brick and makes it stronger. And so, without straw, what would happen is these mud bricks would just fall apart. They they would be heated up and they just crumble. So this is a huge problem, right? They're going to be expected to keep the same quota of bricks, but they're not given any straw. Basically, this is an impossible task. And Pharaoh knows that it's an impossible task. He knows that he's setting them up for failure. He's setting them up for beatings and a heavier workload and more punishments. And here's the point. This is a much worse situation than the bad situation they were already in. Pharaoh's goal is to make them regret ever coming to ask him for anything. Finally, you know, getting up the courage to go and do what God told them to do. Here's Moses and Aaron. You know, they had pushed back so much. They were so timid to go and do what God wanted them to do. But finally they said, okay, we'll do it. We'll step out in faith. We'll trust God. We'll do what God is telling us to do. We'll go and we'll speak to Pharaoh and request that he let the people go. But look, they did what God wanted them to do and things just got worse. They didn't get better. We read in verse 14 that the Hebrew slaves, they were not able to meet these quotas and as a result, they were beaten. At the end of chapter four, the previous chapter, you remember when God finally you know, convinces Moses to say, yes, I will go and I'll do what you asked. Moses and Aaron then go to the people of Israel and they say, God has heard your cries. God cares about you. He sees your suffering and he cares and he's gonna set you free. And what did the people do? They said, hallelujah they rejoiced but now Moses and Aaron do what God told them to do exactly what God told them to do but rather than the situation getting better the situation got worse and in fact much worse you can imagine what the people of Israel must have been feeling at this time how can this be how can it be that God promised to set us free he promised to deliver us and we did exactly what he told us to do but things didn't get better they just got worse Maybe there's some of you who can relate to that. Maybe you've experienced something similar yourself. You responded to God's call. You became a Christian. You said, yes, okay, I will. I will follow Jesus. I will make him my Lord. You became a Christian or you began to obey God in some area of your life where previously you hadn't been Or, or you began to serve God in some way and you stepped out. But rather than your life getting better, your life actually got worse in some ways. And there can be this tendency to say, what's up with this? Like, why is this happening? I'm doing what you told me to do, God. And this is my reward. Things just get worse. I'm following you. And as a result, my circumstances aren't getting better. They're getting worse. Or maybe you committed to praying for something, something that you really wanted to see happen, but instead of improving, the situation got worse. Has that ever happened to you? I, I wonder... I can't help but think that that's happened to some of us. How do you react during those times when you say, I'm doing everything that you want me to do, God? Why are things not getting better? Why are they actually getting worse? Well, Jesus told a story once about two brothers. Uh, It's sometimes referred to as the parable of the prodigal son, but that name is actually a bit misleading because it's not really about just one son. It's about two brothers. And so I think the better name for it is a name which has also been historically used for it, and that is the parable of the two brothers. The parable begins with these words, there was a man who had two sons. And so from the outset we can see that this parable is about comparing and contrasting two brothers. The younger brother came to his dad one day and he asked for his inheritance. Now that was a weird thing to do. It's a weird thing to ask your dad for for your inheritance when your dad's still alive. Right? But essentially, what this son was saying to his father was, I'm leaving. I'm disowning the family. I'm never coming back. I don't care about having a relationship with you as my dad. The only thing I want from you is your money. So give me my inheritance. That's the only thing you are good for to me is to give me some money. And as soon as I get it, I'm leaving. Goodbye. So it was a very hurtful thing that this son did to his father. It was very selfish. But the father consented. And the sun went off, but within a very short amount of time, he had squandered all the money on parties and prostitutes. And he found himself completely broke, completely destitute, and hungry. So hungry, in fact, that he considered eating pig slop, which is pretty bad if you consider it. Like, eating pig slop is terrible. But it's even worse if you consider how this would be for a Jewish person. They considered, first of all, pigs to be... uh, you know, unclean animals and to eat the slop of the pigs. This is really, you cannot get any lower than this. And it was at this moment that he realized, you know, even the servants in my father's household have it better off than I have it right now. My father will probably never allow me to come back home after what I did to him, but maybe I can get him to accept me as a servant, to hire me as a servant, and then I could work for him and at least my life would be better off as a servant than it is right now. So this younger brother decides to go back home. He makes a long journey back home. And he finds that not only does his father still love him, but his father has been watching and waiting for him every day, hoping that he would return. And not only does his father forgive him for what he had done, he receives him back. And not as a servant, he receives him back as a son. He restores him to his place as a a son with all the rights and privileges. He, He holds a great feast to celebrate the joyous occasion that his son has returned and he says, my son who was dead is now alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Now you've probably heard some of that story. But you've got to realize that's only half the story. Because this is a story of two brothers, right? So what about the other brother? What about the older brother? Well, the older brother, it tells us in the rest of the parable, when he saw this, rather than being glad that his brother had returned, he was filled with anger. He was filled with resentment towards his father and towards his brother, why why was he angry well here's why the older brother says at one point in this parable he says to his father you know what these many years i have served you and he says i never disobeyed you but you have never given me a fattened calf you never threw a party for me like this you know but here comes my good for nothing brother he he wasted your money he insulted you and you do all these things for him i deserve it more than he does I've done everything you wanted me to do. I've served you. I've never done anything wrong. Why haven't you given more to me? And in a way, you know, I don't know about you, but I can kind of sympathize with him. You know, that could be frustrating. He says, why do people who are less deserving than I am get the things that I've always wanted and I don't get them? That's not fair. Here I am. I've done everything right. I've served you, I've obeyed you, I've done everything you asked, I've been faithful to you, why haven't you given me more? Why do you give him more than you give me? And at the end of the story, though, there's a very profound picture. The picture is this, there's a party going on inside the house, dad's in there, everybody's in there, and guess where the older brother is? He's standing outside, alone, angry and resentful, because he feels that he is owed more than he's been given. Now the question is this: Who did Jesus say this? Tell this story to, and what was the main point in telling this story? Well, if you look at the beginning of the chapter where Jesus is, he tells a series of parables, here's the setting for all of it. It says this: Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. These are the religious leaders of the day. Now we tend to think of Pharisees and scribes in a very negative way. Uh, you know just because it 's kind of built into our culture, in fact, the word Pharisee" is an insult. If you call somebody a pharisee that 's not a nice thing to call them. but in that day you 've got to understand the Pharisees were highly respected. in fact, we probably would have respected them. They would be the pastors, the leaders of of that time. so Jesus, these people come they 're highly religious people they 're people who are respected in their community, and they are grumbling and saying, "Look at this guy jesus he 's hanging out with these." you know, rough characters, he even eats with them, you know, what is he doing? So Jesus is speaking to who? He's speaking to the rule keepers, the religious elites, to the people who obeyed God's law. They were the older brother in this story. And he was saying this, I want you to see guys, I want you to see where this older brother mentality leads to. I want you to see where this older brother mentality gets you. If you believe that God owes you because of what you've done, because you've been a good enough person, here's here's what it leads to. Just see this. It leads to you being on the outside, alone, angry and resentful. Angry at God, resenting God, because he didn't give you the things that you wanted in the way that you wanted. And rather than being able to rejoice with other people when good things happen to them, you're just bitter that it didn't happen to you. And ultimately, you find yourself alone on the outside, estranged from God and other people. Now, some of us, we hear the story of the two brothers, the parable son, or sorry, the prodigal son. And we can relate more to the younger brother. Probably there's some of you who, you know, you hear the story and you say, man, I am that younger brother. I was a prodigal son. I was a prodigal daughter. I went off. I lived a life of sin. I hurt other people by doing selfish things. Until I just got sick of that life and I came back and I asked God to forgive me. I repented and he did. He, re- he received me. Not only did he forgive me, but he welcomed me with open arms. He ran to me. I was only taking baby steps to him, but he ran to me and embraced me. And he didn't just receive me as a servant, but he received me as his child with all the rights and privileges of a son. Some of you, that's your story. To a degree, I think all of us are the younger brother in a way, right? We've all sinned. We all have to repent. We all have to come back to God and and seek forgiveness. But some of you, uh, I would venture to say, most of you, don't relate as much with the younger son or the younger brother as you do with the older brother. And I think that's actually the point of the parable. I think that most people relate to the older brother more than they do with the younger brother. That's why it's kind of sad that the older brother hasn't gotten more press, and the younger brother gets all the press, right? So, you know, you say, you know, I, I kind of relate more to the older brother. I was never a crazy, rebellious person. I never went on like a three-day binge, or shot drugs into my eyeballs, or killed the president, or robbed a gas station. You know, I was never really that bad of a person, you know. Rather, my whole life has been about following the rules, and doing the right thing, and trying to be a good person. And I drive the speed limit, and I show up five minutes early for work, right? And basically, I'm a good moral person. And the reason you became a Christian wasn't so much because you had a crisis and your life was burning down, but because you believe simply that God is worthy of your worship because he's God. You know, honestly, most people in the world are more like the older brother than the younger brother. Now, there are some younger brother types out there, but most people are a lot more like the older brother. And this parable is meant to be a warning to us of what the older brother mentality leads to. And here's what it leads to. It leads to isolation and resentment. We see a, a little bit of that starting to happen here with the Hebrew people and with Moses himself at the end of this chapter where they say, Moses even says, "Look." they say, look, we did everything that God told us to do but things only got worse instead of better. In verse 20, the people say to Moses and Aaron, they say, Moses and Aaron, you messed everything up. In verses 22, 22 and 23, Moses says to God, God, you're not doing anything. You're not keeping your promises, God. But God looks at all of these things that are happening, how things have gotten worse instead of better. And you know what He says? It's all going according to my plan. It's all going according to my plan. Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute here, stop the presses. I thought that God's plan was to make my life comfortable and easy and give me the things that I want. And God would say, no, my plan is something much bigger than that. And it's something that's actually much better than that. My plan is to bring liberty into your life, to bring transformation for me to be glorified in your life and through your life. And in that process, there will be easy times and there will also be times of struggle and there will be times of stretching. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to let God work true freedom in your life even if it means that for a while, things get worse before they get better? Are you willing to let God set you free from the things that you are in bondage to even if it means that there will be struggle in the process? Let me tell you this. Think about it. If God had wanted to, he could have set Israel free instantly, right? They they didn't necessarily have to go through this episode, did they? Moses could have gone, it could have happened this way. Moses goes into Pharaoh, says, let the people go. And Pharaoh says, all right, yeah, go ahead, you know, go for it. Now, God could have done that, but he didn't. Why not? Why was the deliverance delayed? Well, here's why. Simply put, It was because there was something that God wanted to do in the struggle and something that God wanted to do through the struggle, both in the Egyptians and in the people of Israel. Do you know that that's true in your life as well? You know, struggles, by definition, are not usually very fun. But sometimes it's through the struggle and in the struggle that God does some of his most profound work in our lives for his glory and for our good. You know, in the coming chapters, we're going to see how that plays out, and we're going to see that that is the case. Pharaoh pushes back here, and as a result, what does it lead to? It leads to things like the Passover. It leads to things like the parting of the Red Sea. Two of the most important episodes in all of Israel's history, key moments even for us as believers that reveal who God is and how God saves and which ultimately point us to and prepare us for Jesus, the ultimate liberator who is to come. You see, although things got hard, everything was going according to God's plan. And maybe that's an important realization for some of you here today in regard to what's going on in your life. Let me encourage you in this. Don't fall into the same fate as the older brother. That older brother, he was miserable. He was resentful. He's isolated. He's on the outside, cut off from God, cut off from people because things didn't go the way that he wanted them to. But let me encourage you, don't be the older brother. Rather, trust that even though you don't see it right now, God has a plan for your good and for his glory. Let's go on to our second point. Our last two points are much shorter than that one. Uh, Where do you turn in times of distress? You know, one of the most disturbing aspects of this story is what the people of Israel do in their moment of distress. Did you catch that? Rather than crying out to God, rather than crying out even to Moses, God's appointed leader for them, what did the people do? Who did they turn to for relief? They turned to Pharaoh. They turned to their one who had oppressed them in the first place. The one who had done this to them, they turned to him and seek relief from him. You see, these people who had earlier cried out to God. They said, God set us free. We don't like this. We want to be free from this bondage. As soon as things get hard in the process of setting them free, in verses 15 and 16, three times in a row, they, the people of Israel, they come to Pharaoh and they tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you are our master and we are your servants. It's like they, they lick his boots if he will just make their lives easier. In other words, they felt that it would be better to just remain in the bondage than to go through the difficulty of the process of letting God set them free. Now maybe you have something in your life that you're in bondage to. Maybe it's an addiction to something. Maybe it's that you're in bondage to something that's much more subtle, but it's bondage nonetheless. Maybe it's something you need. You see, anything that you need to have, If you say, if I have this thing, then my life will be good, then I will be happy. Think about that. If you need something, if you must have it, then you are a slave to that thing. Your heart is chained to it. Maybe it's that you need the constant approval of other people. Maybe it's an insatiable need for validation that you look for through your accomplishments and your achievements. Here's the sick thing that we tend to do. It's like that Stockholm Syndrome mentality. And it's exactly what the people of Israel did. In times of distress, we often turn, we often seek comfort in the very thing which we are in bondage to. That Stockholm Syndrome phenomena of loving the thing which you are in bondage to. And being attached to it. Thinking it's your friend. Looking to it for comfort even though it is hurting you. But like Pharaoh here, those things will never Give us what we are looking for. They will always let you down. They will always leave you empty. But there is one who does care about us. You know, the remarkable thing about Moses is something that we're going to see from this point on until the end of his life. And that is this, something that characterizes his life. If you go to heaven, right, and you're looking for Moses, you'll recognize him because he'll be the dude with the flat nose. Why? Because he's always getting on his face before god it says that he would bow face down and seek the lord you see moses in spite of all his flaws he comes to god in his distress you see in his distress he, he it's kind of a crummy prayer that he prays right he says god why did you do this why did you send me why why you said you were going to deliver the people but you haven't done anything that's a it's a pretty crummy prayer but i'll tell you this it's a prayer it is a prayer and, and what we're going to see here is that because Moses is willing to at least come to God in his distress, he ends up getting a much needed encouragement. So for those of you who need encouragement today, that brings us to our third point. And that is how to find the encouragement you need. Let me read you a couple verses from chapter six. In verse one, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. In verse two, God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. Verse six, he says, "Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, "I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will deliver you from slavery to them, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and, I, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession, for I am." The Lord. Now understand, this would have been an incredibly encouraging thing for Moses to hear. First of all, God is telling Moses that he is doing something. Even though the people don't feel like that's happening, God says, no, I am doing something. I have a plan with all of this. And in the end, here's what's going to happen. Not only is Pharaoh going to let you go, no, he's going to insist that you leave. He's going to drive you out of the land. See, when you know how it's all going to end... When you know that things are going to end well, it makes it a lot easier to endure the momentary bumps in the road. Furthermore, God reminded Moses of who he is. He says in verse 2, I am the Lord. Now again, Lord in all capital letters. It's an occurrence of the covenant name of God, Yahweh. Essentially what God is saying is, Moses, remember who I am. Remember who I revealed myself to you to be. I am a covenant keeping God and I will absolutely keep my promises both the promise I made to Abraham to take you into the promised land and the promise I made to you to set you free from slavery I am the covenant keeping God I am Yahweh maybe you need some encouragement today I love this quote from G. Campbell Morgan he says this the supreme need in our every hour is a true vision of God to see him is to see all else in proper proportion and perspective From verse 6 through 8, God then gives Moses a series of promises which all begin with the words, I will. I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You see, when deliverance is delayed, the encouragement you need is found in looking to who God is and what he has done for you. You Many years after this, there's another one who came on the scene also to bring deliverance. When that one entered the city of Jerusalem, the people rejoiced and they shouted, Hosanna, which means salvation is now. In other words, our Savior has come. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then what happened? Rather than things getting better, they got worse, didn't they? The authorities came together and they arrested this man. And many of the people who had followed him, his closest followers even, They turned their backs on him, and Jesus was put to death, hung on a cross. And it seemed for a moment, which probably felt like eternity, that darkness had won. That darkness had overcome. Like here in Exodus, people wondered, God, you said you were going to save us. What's going on? Nothing's happening. Jesus is dead. Everything's worse than it was before. What's going on? But on the third day. It turned out that what had seemed like defeat was actually the ultimate plan of victory. Through his death, Jesus had performed the ultimate act of liberation, setting us free from the curse of sin and death. You see, Jesus, or sorry, you see this, just because God's deliverance is sometimes delayed, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. The question for you today is this. Do you belong to him? If so, you have reason to be encouraged. Have you put your faith in Christ Jesus and what he did for you? The message of the gospel is the ultimate source of encouragement that exists in the world because here's the message of the gospel. Here's what it states. It states in in Romans chapter five, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it goes on to say this, and if God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him Give us all things. That means that if you are His, you can rest assured that God is committed to working out His good plan in your life. Even through the stretching, even through the trying seasons, even if it gets harder before it gets easier, God will use all of those things for your ultimate good and for His ultimate glory as He's setting you free. So let me ask you, are you His today? If so, then be encouraged. And if not, or if you're not sure, whether you're a prodigal or you're the older brother, today is the day to embrace the gospel and get in a right relationship with God because of what Jesus did for you. Would you please stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace towards us. We thank you, Lord, that even though sometimes, like Moses, we pray crummy prayers, Lord, thank you that you love us, that you are patient with us, you are gracious towards us. And we thank you for the deliverance that Jesus worked for us on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you showed your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, you gave your life for us. And we thank you for the promise that what that shows us, that if you would not even spare your own son, how will you not also give us all good things? Lord, I pray for anyone here today who doesn't know if they belong to you. And I pray that today would be the day when they would say unequivocally, yes to the gospel. They would say, yes, I embrace it. I choose to believe what Jesus did for me. I embrace his death and his resurrection, and I ask God that you forgive me and give me new life. I pray for those of us who are believers, and I ask, Lord, that you encourage our hearts with this message this morning, with the message of the gospel. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our series, Be Set Free, a study of the book of Exodus. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.